God's grace and His peace are yours today through Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. I want you to imagine for a second your life in 10 years. What does life look for you 10 years from now? Maybe for some of you, you, you imagine your kids uh, grown up now. They're in uh, either graduating high school or beginning college. Uh, maybe they've gotten that scholarship that they've worked so hard for, either for sports or, or academics. Uh, maybe uh, you're in high school or college right now, and you envision your life, and you see that you've graduated, and uh, now you're beginning a family and a career. Maybe for some of you, you imagine 10 years from now that the business that you in booms and you are successful and, and everything is going great in life. Maybe for others of you, you're looking forward to retirement over the next 10 years, to slow down with, with working and, and instead enjoy some of the hobbies that you've been wanting to enjoy for a long time now that have been put on the back burner. Uh, and you're looking forward to just hanging out with grandkids. Whenever we look into the future, we always picture good things, don't we? We always see good things happening. We always see the best part of life. Very rarely, when we look out over the next 10 years of life, do, do we picture hardships, tragedies, uh, life turned upside down and uprooted. We don't picture that. And, and to a certain extent, that's a good thing because we know that with Jesus that we have reason to be hopeful about the future. And yet, how do we respond when those times come in our life? Because we don't plan, because we don't expect these things in life, we're completely shocked and overtaken with emotions when these things happen, when hardships and tragedies come in life. It comes as a surprise all the time, and it hurts. And so how do we respond? What happens to our relationship with God? That's what we're going to talk about today. And we're looking at a book called Ruth. And what we're going to see over this, this four chapters, four weeks, four chapters of the book of Ruth, we are going to see that God remains faithful. Uh, he is behind the scenes in this whole book, and yet uh, as this family goes through tragedy, hardships, we see that God is there working deliverance. He is there working healing. He is there bringing about uh, the deliverance, not only for this family, but ultimately His people. And so we're looking at Ruth chapter 1. If you brought a Bible, open it up. You're going to be able to make notes today. If you have your worship folder in front of you, you can take notes uh, and bring it home and put them in your Bible. Uh, we are going to walk through this chapter uh, verse by verse. And uh, if you want, it's actually on the next page of your worship folder. The whole uh, chapter 1 is laid out for you. Chapter 1, here's what we're told. Verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem of Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Uh, let's stop real quick. Ephrathites from Bethlehem. Uh, but you Beth uh, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Micah 5.2, if you want to write Micah 5.2 in your Bible, uh, it is a, promise, a Christmas promise. Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me a ruler 
And so God's promise, 700 B.C., 700 years before Jesus was born in Micah 5.2, God says, from this family is going to come a king, a ruler, the Messiah. Jesus is going to come from this family. Micah 5.2 is what that was from. Uh, And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Let's get a map up here. Okay, so we're told that a family from Bethlehem, Bethlehem was located right outside of Jerusalem, right there. They went over to Moab. Quick uh, history of the Israelites. Uh, 1950 B.C., right around there, they were enslaved by the Egyptians, and they they lived over here until 1500 B.C., 450 years of slavery. And then uh, God, under the the leadership of Moses, delivered His people, and they escaped. And for 40 years, they crossed. They went down to the Sinai Peninsula and wandered for 40 years. Here's Mount Sinai. This is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And then Moses dies. And under the guidance and leadership of Joshua... They go up and they take over the land of Canaan, the land of Israel right here. You noticed in verse 1 it said, in the days of the judges. This book takes place around uh, between 1450 and 1100 B.C. in in the time of the judges. There's a book in the Bible called the Judges. uh, and, And what that word actually means is deliverer. And so it's not a judge sitting on a a judgment seat declaring judgments. He delivered their people over and over again. During this time period, if you read the book of Judges, what you hear over and over again is that in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit, both physically and spiritually. They did whatever they wanted. So if you want to read some pretty messed up stories, read the book of Judges. It is... Gross and disgusting and, and not what Christians do. It's during this time, this time period of, of spiritual decay and physical violence that the book of Ruth takes place. And there's a famine in the land. And unlike today, names were given to people with significance and meaning. So I want to give you a few names and meanings this morning. We hear that this family is from Bethlehem. Bethlehem equals house of bread. That's what it means. And so you see a little irony there, don't you? In the house of bread, there's no food. There's a famine. And so this family has to leave their city, their town that they're born and raised in, grew up in, to go to Moab where there is food. Bethlehem, that's where Jesus is born 1,200 years later. We hear that the, the, man of the, the head of the family, the patriarch, is named Elimelech. Elimelech means God is king. And so while everyone else uh, the, you know, has no king and does whatever they see fit, this family recognizes God is king. And so every time they would say Elimelech, they would be saying, God is king, God is king, God is king. And they recognized God is king. He's married to a woman named Naomi, which equals pleasant. And they have two sons, Malon and Kilian. We think these are nicknames because uh, these names mean sicknesses and illnesses. Uh, And so in a a culture where you gave names to kids uh, with meaning, 
the chances that somebody names their kid sickness and illness, not likely. <laughs> and so these are probably nicknames. This is the family that we're looking at. And they move from Bethlehem to Moab in search of food. Here's what, and, and while they're there, tragedy struck. Elimelech dies. And Naomi is left with her and her two sons. Here's what happens. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah. The sons married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. This was no good. Uh, in, in today's society, what would happen if a marriage ends or a husband dies? The wife, if she's not already working, will go to work and earn money to provide for the family. In this day and age, didn't happen. A uh, husband took care of the family and made the money uh, while wife stayed home. And if husband died, wife would rely on her sons to take care of her. Husband dead, two sons dead. Starvation is a real possibility now. She will be poor for the rest of her life. And not only that, she's in a foreign country. She's not from there. I wonder if you would have asked Naomi uh, 10 years before this what her life would look like 10 years from now. I wonder what she would have said. Maybe she would have said that Elimelech's farming business would, would, be, would have taken off, boomed, they would have been able to save up enough and retire. Her, her two sons, Malon and Killian, uh, they would marry beautiful Israelite women inside and out that are just the nicest women ever. They're like the daughter she never had. Because they, they saved up so much and because uh, the sons are out married now, they don't need this big house, so maybe they downsize in Bethlehem in the small little quiet town that they live in uh, where her sons will live next to them, where they get to see grandkids every day, and they'll live out the rest of their days in quietness. Ten years later, look what happens. Uprooted, no longer living even in the same country. Husband dead, two sons dead. And this is for the family that acknowledges that God is king. And so there's two ways to respond, right? When tragedy and hardship strike, there's two ways to respond. And it's your first point this morning. When hardships come, we can get bitter or we can look to God to get better. When hardships come, we can get bitter or we can turn to God and look to Him to get better. Before we go any further, let me explain what this means and what it doesn't mean. What it doesn't mean is that we don't grieve and mourn. Grieving and mourning is natural. Grieving and mourning is what, we're, what we do and that's okay. But it's in our grieving and mourning that we become bitter toward God, that's not okay. And we're going to see why and, and what happens when we do that. It doesn't mean that we put a smile on our face and act like everything's okay. That's not what we do either, because that's not true. But in our grieving, in our mourning, we turn to God to get better. Here's what happens with Naomi. Husband dead, two sons died. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. 
With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Real quick, notice, notice the Lord provides once again. He provides food for her people in her hometown so she doesn't have to keep living in this foreign land. She can go back home. And we see this name. When you see this name, the Lord in all capital letters, this is what the editors do when it's Adonai in Hebrew. It's the name that the Lord gives himself that says, I am the one-sided Lord. I make a covenant with you and it's all me. I promise I'm going to save you, deliver you, and provide for you. You need to do nothing. This is the Savior God who's providing and who's promising this to Naomi. He provides for the country and they move back. So they're on their way. Then Naomi, they're on their journey, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me, Naomi says. As Naomi is grieving, as she is mourning, she says, The Lord's hand has turned against me. And in her bitterness toward God, she urges her daughters-in-law to go back to their own people. Which at first seems like no big deal, right? Yeah, why would you not encourage them to go back to mom and dad's house? Except look at what she says. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Orpah had come to know the Savior God, the one true God, the God who promised back in Genesis 3.15 that He was going to send a Savior into the world to destroy the devil's work. This is a God that, that Orpah had come to know because of this family. She wouldn't have had faith in the true God if it wasn't for Naomi and her family. And look what Naomi does in the midst of her bitterness. Go back to your God, she says. Abandon your faith in the true God and go back to your family. And she tries to get Ruth to do the same thing. Look, your, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, her gods. You go as well. This is the opposite of planting gospel seeds. This is pushing people away from the Lord. Why? Because she's bitter. The Lord's hand has turned against me, is what she says. Look, understand, we are all going to go through hardships. We're all going to go through tragedies in life. It's just part of the reality of the sinful world that we live in. But understand, who wants you to believe that the Lord is against you? Satan, right? The devil. 
He is whispering in your ear, the Lord is against you. The Lord is against you. Why? Because then God is over here and you are over here. And guess who's over here with you? The devil. Because the devil is against the Lord. And when we get bitter toward God and we think He's against us, what ends up happening? We end up speaking against God. And what happens? We cause other people to get against God too. And guess whose side they're on then? The devil. The devil. And now we've pitted ourselves against the God, the Savior God, the only true God. The truth is, it's the devil who wants you to believe that God is against you. But in reality, God is never against you. He is always in your corner. Naomi failed to realize this, and she pushes her daughters-in-law to go back to foreign gods that aren't true. That can't help in this situation. They're only going to make matters worse. Orpah listens. But Ruth clings to her. Here's what Ruth says. Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. The Holy Spirit had worked faith in Ruth's heart to believe in the Savior God, the one true God. And guess what? Naomi, even as bitter as she is right now, is her only connection to that one true God. Your God will be my God. And it's Naomi's people who has the true God. Her gods back in Moab can't help her. Her people back in Moab can't help her because they don't have the true Savior God. You see, Ruth believed what Paul would later write 1,200 years later in Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ruth knew and believed that God was the Savior God and that everything He did was for her eternal good, to conform her to the image of His Son, to His image, to be like Him for her good. How was she going to be healed? How was she going to get better? It wasn't going back home. It was clinging to the Savior God who comforts a mourning heart. It's clinging to the Savior God who gives strength when she felt weak. It's clinging to the Savior God who heals the brokenness in our heart. It's clinging to the Savior God who will make her better. Why? And how do we know that this is our God? Because God is not like any other gods. For one, He's true God, and He is God. Uh, And number two, God doesn't isolate Himself and wrap Himself in a bubble to not experience what we experience. God Himself went through hardships and tragedy as He watched His own Son Jesus die on the cross. Die there not for His own disobedience, die not for His own sins and mistakes, but dying for us, for our disobedience, for our mistakes. As He watched His Son die, 
Imagine what that felt like for God. The same that we feel. Tragedy, mourning, grieving. And yet He did it all, and Jesus did it all, that you and I might have forgiveness. So that you and I may know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That we may know that God is always in our corner, never against us, but always for us. This is the truth that you have to hold on to, even in the midst of your hardships and tragedies. Why? Because Jesus died for you. God's favor is always with you, never against you. This is what Ruth knew. But there's also one other thing we learned from Ruth. Being a follower of Jesus means we sacrifice the important for the vital. Being a follower of Jesus means we sacrifice the important for the vital. Ruth is going with Naomi back to Bethlehem. Guess what she's leaving behind? Mom and dad. She's leaving her friends that she has there. She could remarry. She could have babies there. And and mom and dad could then see their grandkids. She could be there when mom and dad get older to take care of them. She, She could see niece and nephew grow up. And yet she says, I'm leaving all that behind. All that stuff is important, but it's not vital. Why? Because what is vital is clinging to the Savior God right now. And always. He is the one who's going to get me through this. He's the one who's going to make me better. I hear so many times when when a a tragedy happens or or a hardship comes to to people's lives, I hear so often people say, we just need a break from church right now. We just need to be by ourselves. And to an extent, I get that. We need time alone. But understand, we can take a break from our Christian friends, but guess who's not taking a break from us? The devil. And guess what he's there whispering to you? God is against you. God is against you. And, and just like a sheep wanders away from the pack uh, and is isolated and a lion attacks it, that's what Satan does. He looks for the ones who isolate themselves and attacks them and drag them away from Jesus. Too often I hear we are all busy in this life and that busyness stacks up and too often we just we don't have time to do everything. And so what do we cut out? The vital things. We cut out church. We cut out Sunday school and Bible study. We cut out uh, connect groups where we grow in Jesus because other things are too important. This is why we want to be the Divine Savior family, right? We want to do life together. Not just Sunday mornings, but we want to do life together as we meet during the week in connect groups. Because when we grow together and we grow as a family, when hardships do come, we have a support system that we can go and rely on that will pray for us, build us up in Jesus as our Savior, build us up in His love and His faithfulness. We want to grow as a family here at Divine Savior. Why? So that we can be that for somebody else. When somebody else goes through hardships and troubles, we can be their anchor that points their eyes back to Jesus, the faithful God who is always with us, who always loves us, who forgives us of our sins and will never abandon us. So we can remind people God is for us, not against us. It's through Him that we are healed. Ruth knew she wouldn't get any of that if she goes back to Moab. But if she goes with Naomi, 
And to the people who knew the true God, she would. And so they head home. The two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in, arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Here's the point we're taking home. When you're uprooted, know that your Savior God is a faithful God. Bitterness affects every area of our life, right? Even when it comes to thankfulness and to recognizing the faithful love of our Savior. Naomi said, I went away full and I came back empty because the Lord has afflicted me. What about Ruth? <laughs> How did Ruth feel about that? You, want to, you came back empty. I'm with you. And yet, when you're filled with bitterness toward God, you can't be thankful for anything. She wasn't thankful that Ruth, who didn't know the Savior God before this, now knows the Savior God. She's in heaven now because she knew the Savior God. Not thankful for that. Not thankful for keeping them safe on their journey home. Not thankful that God provided food for, for Israel. Not thankful that she's back in her own town with her own friends, building her up in God the Savior. No. I am empty. And I'm bitter toward God. Hardships are going to come. But the God of free and faithful grace never forgets about us. He never forgot about Ruth. He never forgot about Naomi. He was there providing for them. He, was, he gave them Christian friends. And yes, we're going to see in the next couple chapters, even a Christian family. He, he gave them, provided them food. He provided them comfort to their mourning hearts. He provided them strength. He provided them hope in a hopeless situation. This is a God of fear and faithful grace who is always in your corner, who gives you all things, who forgives you of your sins, conquers death, and yes, will make you better. May God be with you this week as you realize and you trust in your Savior God who is a faithful God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are a faithful God. God the Father, we thank You that You are faithful and sent Your only Son into the world to live and die for us and that through Him, Your love will never be taken from us. We thank You that You are always in our corner, never against us, but always fighting for us. As we face tragedy and hardships in this life, we ask You to help us to trust You, to rely on You, and to look, for you, look to You for healing and deliverance. In Your name we pray. Amen.